Welcome to Top 5, a show where we count things down from number 5 all the way to number 1. And oh, if you loved our 2015 to 2020 favorite television shows, well, you're in a treat uh, this week as we do our Top 5 TV shows from 2010 to 2014. <laughs> I wonder what our next episode will be. We just get these all out in one big block. TV shows that aired on Thursdays between the year 1991 <laughs> and the 1996, but only half-hour versions, and if they went an hour long, they're not eligible. Uh, so there's a couple of things that I noticed. Uh, I did, as I was going back through a bunch of TV shows, missed a bunch that I would have put in the last episode. Um, I also noticed that, boy, Netflix really didn't start cranking out original series until like 2013. <laughs> and then that's when that became a real interesting thing because all of a sudden you see all these websites talking about well here are the best original things that came out uh, from Netflix in the last decade and they all start all the Netflix stuff starts around 2012 2013 I think in 2010 they were still mailing me discs maybe maybe and I know that the other thing that is really weird is I had a tough time finding shows for this one and I was like I can't really think of really watching a lot of television shows during this time period and then Rodrigo pointed out, oh, you know, Daniel T Tiger came out in 2012. And sure enough, that would have been about the five-year-old and three-year-old mark for my kids. And now looking at my list makes a lot more sense as to why yeah. these particular shows are showing up on my list. Because so much of my time from 2012 to 2014 was spent watching children's shows. Yep. You were parenting, so you didn't have time to watch TV. Which is why my number five is Rick and Morty. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, you know, when I look at all of these shows, there are two shows that I would consider adult shows on my list, and Rick and Morty is certainly one of them. And Rick and Morty is on that list just because there's something like when you drive by a, a car crash and you kind of stop and you slow down and you want to see what's going on. And that's kind of what Rick and Morty started out with for me was just like, OK, what is this thing that everybody is blowing their heads up about? You know, everyone's talking about Dan Harmon and the community guy is doing this TV show. And, oh, my gosh, it's so brilliant. But you probably don't understand because you're too stupid. And then I'm starting watching. I'm like, yeah, I totally get it. But I think the people that are screaming the most about it are the ones who actually don't get it. They're the ones that think that Rick is the hero. And they don't realize, like at the end of uh, Falling Down, that he's kind of the bad guy of this show. <laughs> and so I don't understand that celebration. But I do find that Rick and Morty over time is a fascinating look at dysfunctional families and people who um, really need to go to therapy but don't. And <laughs> the problems that happens when they are, uh, they're not going through catharsis of, of their problems. Also, if you happen to listen to any of the old uh, Harmontown episodes, as all of this was going on, you can see that a lot of Rick and Morty is just Dan Harmon working out his own personal his own personal therapy session in the form of a cartoon show. Uh, but I find it super fascinating. And sometimes they do some brilliant, amazing things that just hit you over the head and make you go, wow. And other times you're just like, whoa, that really was uh, not what I was expecting. But it's still fascinating. It's to me, it's ugly animation. I never really it took me a while to get used to the style, uh, the art style that they have in that show. But now I'm I kind of dig it. And that's why Rick and Morty is my number five. Matthew, what do you have for number five? My number five, I actually came to in a securitous way. Uh, and most importantly, it's a show where I don't like the main character, the protagonist or the actor necessarily playing her. I don't hate the actress. I just find her to be the least interesting on the show. Um, when my kid was younger, 
when she was of an appropriate age, she used to watch iCarly. And then after iCarly, we watched the spinoff show called Sam and Cat. But in 2016 or 2017, we accidentally started watching my number five, Victorious, which is the other show off of which Sam and Cat spun, uh, which is kind of interesting. I love the idea of a show that's actually a spinoff of two different things, bringing them together. It's kind of a very comic booky concept. But Victorious is pretty much your standard boilerplate kids in high school show. But it's a really talented group. I mean, even the main actress who's kind of, you know, boring. She has to play the main actress. It's like Ted Mosby syndrome. When you're the central character, sometimes you are boring. But it's a really talented group of kids. And they have their little musical moments. And they have their stupid acting moments. And they have just a whole bunch of silly high school plots. But it's fun. And it's kind of lightweight. It doesn't require a whole lot of your brain power. And now that How I Met Your Mother is apparently exclusively on some streaming service that I may or may not have, it's what I tend to watch in the evenings when I need video wallpaper. Something, you know, kind of frivolous and frothy that's not going to take up too much of my brain pan, but is also entertaining enough that I do, if I do sit and pay attention to it, it's like, oh yeah, ha, that's kind of funny. It's got the kid from uh, Zombieland 2. It's got the, the, the kid from the Lion King live action thing. It's got Ariana Venti who apparently is worth $11 billion now. I don't know what her thing is. But I really, really like it. I feel like it's a good show. And there weren't a whole lot of things that I could choose from in the 2010 to 2014 period. Everything I'm like, well, everything I watched started either in 2009 or 2016. So my number five, Victorious, is by my kids' show, my Nickelodeon show. Because you got to have one every time around. So uh, what's going on, Rodrigo? Uh, what do you have for your number five this week? is a show that started in 2010 um, and uh, I think went under the radar for a lot of people but I came across it because I heard that the team or at least one of the people behind My Name is Earl was behind this show um, and so I kind of I started watching it and I thought it was hilarious uh, it's Raising Hope I don't know if you guys have seen it yeah um, so Raising Hope is the story of uh, these poor white people who <laughs> don't make good decisions. And so they have a son way too young. Uh, and then that son uh, makes bad decisions and has a daughter way too young and also with a serial killer. Uh, <laughs> her mom goes to jail and then... It, that's about the most like like the weirdest sort of aspect about the premise of the show after that it really becomes this kind of this sitcom about basically these like 40 tops year old grandparents and their son who's in his you know late or early 20s trying to raise this baby and trying to like kind of correct the mistakes that they made uh i'll just sort of along the way there's a lot of like hey you know this happened to me and i'm not gonna let you guys do the same thing to my kid kind of stuff there's a little romance uh with like the the girl that works at the store uh with him it's actually really funny and the first two seasons are just so on point the whole way just so good um definitely 
check it out. I have no idea where it streams nowadays, but uh, Raising Hope is, is good times. Very, very cool. Uh, I remember maybe watching one episode of that. Uh, yeah. Maybe you had said, oh, you should yeah. check this out, and I watched it, and then I probably got distracted by my number four, which debuted in 2010 and ran on and off for several years. Uh, Young Justice. Now, uh, you know, as we start to fall back into some of these other uh, quarter decades or half decades, um, we'll find some other DC animated shows that pop up. But if you're looking for something that was pretty much a more mature version of the Teen Titans that everyone has always wanted to have, Young Justice is really hits that mark. And the first season really surprised me in how they were slowly building a major storyline in the back that, you know, each episode they're dealing with some little weird thing that's going on as they try to prove that they can do just as good a job as the big heroes. It, it was never, you know, talked down or never goofy like uh, like the Teen Titans or Teen Titans Go series. Uh, but it was really kind of played very straight in these young kids trying to come to grips with uh, their awkward teen years. And man, by the time you hit the end of that first season where uh, Captain Marvel is there or Shazam, whichever way you want to call him. And, you know, the things that were going on with the Red Tornado and the fact that if you really paid attention to the release dates, the day and the time on the show actually aligned with the actual day and the time that they were being released. And the fact that it told this told this really great complex story throughout each season just really blew me away. And so Young Justice is my number four. I did. I do remember at the time when this came out trying to get my oldest boy who was how old was he at the time? Rodrigo He's 13 now. So subtract, uh, that'd be like uh, seven in 2010, right? Something like that. Something like that. Um, I tried to get him into Young Justice, and he was just like, eh, this really isn't my cup of tea. And so we would uh, flip back and forth to the other uh, goofy animated shows that he liked to watch. Uh, but Young Justice was one that I sat down every week when I knew a new episode was coming out to watch because I enjoyed it that much. So that's my number four, Young Justice. Matthew, what do you have for number four? Once again, my number four is one that I came to late, but I came to it honestly, because uh, as with so many things, I feel no real urgency to watch stuff when other people are watching it. I, I just, I don't care. Um, so when my family started re-watching a show from the Nickelodeon that would not fall in this particular time frame, I was like, oh, this time I'll pay attention. And I actually paid attention to all four seasons, and I was like, oh, this is a good show. Okay, let's go to the follow-up. So my number four, The Legend of Korra, came out in 2012, and it is really good. And it is a show that I get yelled at by my family because I believe, I firmly believe, that The Legend of Korra is a redemption arc for Varric. Uh, and this is, stay with me here. Varric is a background character. He starts out as kind of a background character, and then he becomes sort of a quasi-villain, and then a flat-out villain, and then he becomes this weird, gray morality goober, and then he becomes a very useful member of the team, and then he becomes almost a hero. And in the last episode of the show, he gets the big romantic arc moment where he proposes, and there's a wedding, and there's a whole big thing, and it's a big celebration of Varric. And I'm like, you know... This is a good show, and I'm glad it's not about Varric, because if it was about Varric, it would be absolutely intolerable. But having that arc happen in the back of a show that was actually pretty good, I really enjoy. And I like the shout-outs to 
the other two, Avatar The Last Airbender. I like the shout-outs to other programming. I am a little troubled as a voice guy, the fact that the main characters are Bud Bundy and Frau Farbissina and the guy who got uh, crushed by a statue in Final Destination 5. But I can get past that for a show that is this good and has a main character who is nuanced but also kind of terrible and goes through a really, really realistic PTSD arc. For my money, you about can't beat it unless you're looking at the original. Oh, man. Legend of Korra is my number three because it is so good. I mean, it is a great show. The animation in this just blows me away time and time again. The way that they shade things, the way that they draw inspiration from uh, Eastern cultures, um, the way that they... Uh, incorporate, especially uh, the one where you spend a lot of the time telling the ancient history about how the um, avatars came to be and you get to meet the first bender and everything's done kind of like a woodblock type animation or wood print animation uh, is just blows me away. And then, of course, the story is really good. You've got this uh, new girl, uh, the chosen one who comes to town and the first season I thought was just really good until the last episode. And then... Um, And then, you know, just the fact that you have this secret conspiracy building and who's this guy that's going to try to take over uh, the world and get rid of all benders and the uprising about that and the reveal. And, oh, it was so good. It was so, so good. This was one that when we went to Nerdtacular 2012 or whatever it was, um, myself, Rodrigo, uh, Rob and Brian. Was there anybody else? Maybe it was... uh, Zach, maybe. No, I don't know if Zach was with us at that time. Maybe he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember we all crowded into a room so that we could watch that season finale of Legend of Korra because we were all digging on it so much. And the best part about Legend of Korra is I did try to get the oldest boy interested at the time, and he would watch a couple of shows here and there. And then, of course, we got busy with other stuff. And so the series kind of fell away, but it would always come back and we would watch a little bits and pieces here and there. But then when he started staying home during the summer and needed things to watch, one of the things he gravitated to was the complete run of Legend of Korra that I had purchased from uh, uh, Apple uh, TV. And he just burned through that entire thing and has watched it a couple times. And then, because this show is so good, the youngest started watching. I said, oh, let's do a whole Legend of Korra rewatch. And the youngest started watching it. And he's like, oh, I'll watch it with you, Dad. And so we would spend the afternoons watching it during, during the uh, pandemic. And the next thing I know, I came up to watch it with him, and he'd already blown through like five episodes ahead of where I was at. And he has watched Legend of Korra like, gosh, he's watched the entire series probably ten times since March of of, uh, 2020. He just watches that thing a lot. Now, he's on to some new stuff now, but for a a time, it was, oh, I just watched the entire four-season series uh, today uh, again and I'm going to start it all over again tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, you go for it. But Legend of Korra is wow. so well done. The characters are so well developed, I think. Uh, yep. And the storylines for each character in the show are meaningful, as Matthew said. Um, yeah. Even June Lee's uh, arc, you know, she has a very interesting arc, too. You know, she's following uh, Varric throughout the entire thing. Um, yep. But yeah, it's, it's definitely worth watching. It's definitely on my number three. But... Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, Rodrigo, what do you have for your number four? Legend of Korra. Oh, did you? Yeah! <laughs> Join us! Join us! It's the rare trifecta, ladies and gentlemen. How long has it been since we've had a trifecta? Well, it's 
technically I'm one ahead of all of you guys, but that's still, I mean, the, yeah. it's on all three of our lists. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, on yeah. all three lists. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's very rare that like, think about the last time when you saw a property that was aimed at kids and somebody said, let's age this up a little bit. And that actually worked. Like, yeah. That literally has never worked except it worked for legend of Korra. The, action is more intense the characters are the sort of emotional stakes are higher the world stakes are higher um and it's pretty successful there's lots of stuff about legend of Korra i don't like but i don't it's stuff that i don't like because it's so good that it gives me opinions you know it's like both Avatar and The Legend of Korra are such good shows that when they do something I don't like, even if it's not bad or like, you know, even if it's not like narratively problematic or anything like that, like they just do something that I don't like. It can like make me really mad. Um, but that's only because I really like the show. Yeah. yeah. So, and, yeah, I have it in my number four as well. And and so for people wondering, if you haven't heard the story about why Steven hated the final, the final, uh, what it, episode or two of the first season of legend of Korra is because there's this huge, you know, the planes are introduced and the, uh, the fire Navy is coming to save Imperial city or uh, with the uh, capital city, whatever it's called. And they're flying Republic around city. Republic city and they're shooting the planes out of the ground, uh, out of the sky. And I'm like, Oh man, we're getting a whole, you know, star Wars, uh, tie fighter versus the empire fight kind of thing going on. And then the parachutes opened and we were all sitting in that hotel room and you could hear me groan uh, audibly as I said, oh, they G.I. Joe'd this. And I was super disappointed because that's one of the things that, uh, you know, Legend of Korra is very straight up about is that people die. But to see, you know, planes crash and people parachuting out at the last minute just reminds me of, well, you can't have too many deaths, you know, G.I. Joe. And to me, that kind of took a little something out of it. But like you said, Rodrigo, even something that is something minor like that, um, I can I can forgive because not 10 minutes later, you know, there was a double death, a pretty major double death that mm -hmm. uh, uh, finished that season. And I was like, oh, well, that was uh, that kind of made it a little better. So, yeah. There and they go. had Henry Rollins doing a voice and it yep. was amazing. Mm -hmm. And they named a character after Mako who died during the first season. And it was amazing. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, you got uh, the, the cabbage cart guy is back. Uh, you know, you get that a little. Cabbage that, corp. Yeah, that actually cabbage I corp. didn't like. You didn't like that? I didn't because it's one of those moments where you're like, hey, everybody gets a happy ending. Uh, Kevin Corp guy didn't really because he got he got hauled out uh, and thrown into jail. Yeah, but he, he needs his My cabbages. Anyway, let's move on to our number threes. I've already done my number three, Legend of Korra. Matthew, what do you have for number three? My number three is actually a work by uh, an old favorite of mine, actually a pair of old favorites of mine. And when it popped up, it popped up in a way that made me angry uh, because I was just sitting there, you know, it's like 2014, 20 something. I don't remember what year it was, but I know I looked it up. It was within the actual time frame, 2011. And I was sitting there and Jonathan Ross pops up on my television show. And Jonathan Ross is like, Hey, you want to see some magic? And I'm like, you yeah, know, okay. And then he's like, well, here's Penn and Teller. My number three is Penn and Teller's Fool Us, where Penn and Teller, who are these you know heavy-duty magicians, sit on a stage and let people come in and try to portray or play a trick 
to do some sort of magical trick that they don't understand. And the joy of the show comes in that it's not about Penn and Teller spoiling it for you, spoiling it for those people. Uh, Penn always talks in code when he thinks he knows what something is so he doesn't spoil the trick for people who haven't seen it. Uh, Teller never talks, of course, but occasionally you'll get Teller coming up and whispering in somebody's ear. But the real joy comes when somebody fools them because they're there to enjoy the show. And a couple of times people will come on and they'll do a magic trick and Penn's like, look, you didn't fool us, but we loved every minute of what you did and I'm glad to put you on television. And it's just this joyful thing where people from around the world show up with the magic tricks that they've created or things that they've built or even this is the thing that I love. Occasionally you'll get a guy who sits down next to Teller and wants to do close-up hand, sleight-of-hand magic with cards. And that's literally like walking up to Batman and saying, hey, want to see me do crimes? It's just amazing chutzpah on the part of all of these people. And it's so much fun to watch. And the best part is they record huge watches of it. So even now when other shows aren't producing, there are new episodes of this show every week or every, you know, I don't know, three times a month, whatever it is. So you can sit and you can watch Penn and Teller's Fool Us. And even if you don't care, you can go, how in the H-E double hockey sticks did they even do that? And that's the joyous part of it all. Yeah. Um, Brian Brushwood, who, are you know, I wouldn't say we're friend friends, but we are friendly uh, with one another because of uh, think, thanks to the Frog Pants Network. He's been on... Um, that show a couple of times, I believe. And mm-hmm. he is, uh, I, I wouldn't say he's good friends with Teller or yeah. Teller. He's, which one doesn't talk? Teller. Teller. Yeah. He's, he's good friends with Teller and, and we'll tell you a story about the time he wrote a letter to him and got a very, very nice and touching letter back. So yeah, I've seen that show a couple of times, uh, but it, yeah. uh, it's not one that is, uh, I have to sit down and watch, but, it, but, uh, it is very good. And if you want to see magic, that's the place to go see it. Rodrigo, what do you have for number three? Uh, my number three is another animated show. Um, it is a miniseries, which is rare, just from the uh, right off the bat, supposed to meant to be a miniseries. Uh, it is uh, 10 episodes, I want to say. Um, and uh, aired on Cartoon Network uh, in order, which is even more amazing. Which is ridiculous. Um, it never yeah. happens. Uh, it's uh, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Over the Garden Wall. Yep. Um, <laughs> That's the first thing my daughter said when I told her the time frame that we were shooting for. Yeah. Over the Garden Wall is a really fantastic piece of animation, probably largely because it is a mini series and in that space contains a lot of information like, yes, there's a plot. And there are characters and character relationships, but you know people have gone into over the garden wall and like picked it apart. And you know you, there's a there's a lot of like readings of it. It's like you, you I mean, you can't have a show that isn't like is Crazy Ex Girlfriend actually purgatory, right? Like everybody's gonna be like, is this actually purgatory? But um, you know, people going in and saying, like, actually, over the garden wall, each episode represents a period of, like, American history and of Americana and sort of, like, breaking down the, like, each decade. Um, there's, you know, ideas of childhood, ideas of responsibility, 
ideas of guilt, ideas of, um, you know, the devil. Uh, Over the Garden Wall is a really mature TV show for kids. And it's sometimes a little spooky. Um, but, you know, I think your teenagers or, or preteens can definitely handle it. Um, and I would strongly recommend it. If you haven't seen Over the Garden Wall, I think it's definitely a must watch if you're somebody that enjoys animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's comic book series that have spun off from that uh, from Boom Studios that people can check out as well. And I think was there a sequel to that or is it uh, did they have a, a couple of other follow ups to that? Uh, they had uh, they had a book come out um, and they've had. Um, they've released some other kind of like companion pieces, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, they released the the original pilot and stuff, but I don't think they've made more over the garden wall, okay. more animated stuff. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, okay. We are to our number twos and my number twos. I came across, uh, because I was down at the university one day and I was talking to an instructor and he was going on and on and on about how there's this show on HBO that's about these guys that start learning about the King in Yellow and, you know, all this Lovecraft stuff. And I was like, well, King in Yellow isn't really Lovecraft, but it's in the same vein, et cetera, et cetera. It actually predates Lovecraft. But he's like, oh, my gosh, there's this stuff about, you know, going to another dimension and all this stuff. And I was like, what is this crazy show you are talking about? And he goes, it's on HBO. It's called True Detective. And season one had just come out in January of 2014. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to check it out. I didn't I didn't get to see it until like the very last episode had aired. But the plus was because I was now an HBO uh, subscriber, I could binge the entire season and I binged the entire season in one night. These are 45 to 50 minute episodes. And I went home that day. And when I think we were done recording, whatever we were recording, I said, okay, let me watch this first episode of True Detective. And I ended up binging the whole thing until like six o'clock the next morning. And I was just like, whoa, this show is really good. So this is a tale. I think most people know what True Detective is, but it is a a story about a murder that has some ritualistic elements to it. And it is told through a series of flashbacks as Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson are recounting what they remember from this murder from, you know, 2007 or something, a decade before or whatever it was. And through the process, you get to learn about these characters. You get to learn about their problems, why they hate each other, what their issues are with one another. You start to learn a little bit about how they track the crime and how the story that they're telling everyone in the present has to do with these ongoing murders that they thought were finished. And how, like a decade later, these two detectives come back together to take down this mass murderer guy. And it is fascinating. It is spooky. It is creepy in so many good ways. Uh, I just actually finished watching this again uh, just recently, like hmm, maybe three weeks ago I finished watching it. I watched it over the course of uh, about four days. And then I started season two. And I remember why True Detective season one is like so good because season two is so bad. I mean, it's not bad. It's just so convoluted (laughs) and messed up in so many different ways that it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, I'm going to I'm going to probably skip the remainder of season two and go and watch season three again to see if it still holds up or if it has problems. Uh, But definitely True Detective season one is so good that people definitely want to go check this out. And this is why it is my number two show from 2010 to 2014. 
my my favorite part of that story that story is that you included your um actually ing the guy who told <laughs> you about True no Detective. I didn't I didn't tell it tell him that out loud it was all in my head <laughs> because I was just like oh yeah this is not really right but I mean he's you know he's talking about the king in yellow and he's talking about you know the green man and all this stuff and I was like what is he talking about that I had to go check it out because he was like oh yeah I went on the internet and went down this big rabbit hole about all this stuff and how people believe it's real and and I was just like oh man but yeah yeah. Uh, Chambers and and uh, Lovecraft, or Chambers came before Lovecraft. So there's some um actually for you there, Rodrigo. <laughs> so there's the King in Yellow and the Green Man and Red Fox and Blue yep. Velvet. What do you got for number two, Matthew? My number two is a show that I almost included on the last list, but it was too early, and I wasn't going to do the thing that Rodrigo did and go, well, I could do this cool thing. It was a smart move on his part. I thought to myself, you know, Stephen, being Stephen, is going to come around later, and so we're going to be able to say a show that began in, like, 2013, a show like, say, Stephen Universe, will mm. count. And here I am, my friends, to tell you, my number two, Steven Universe, and now it counts. And I talk about this show, I think this is the fifth or Carl will tell us, the fifth or sixth time that Steven Universe has popped up in one of my lists. I know it's popped up in Rodrigo's list. It's a good show. It's a story of a young boy whose mom dies and who is raised by kind of a, an unexpected family consisting of his weird hippie dad and three alien polymorphic space rocks. Uh, each of whom is a different aspect of big sister and or mom. So a really great show. It kind of undermines your expectations of adventure. It undermines your expectations of family. It throws in things that you're like, wow, this could have been a whole very special episode, but it wasn't because it's Steven universe. And they're just saying, look, here we have this thing. This happens. This is life. This is the world that we're in. There are people of color, even in weird places like, you know, Beach City, Del Marva. There are relationships between women or, you know, characters who identify as women. There are all of these wonderful moments. There are these bits and pieces and old relationships and, you know, dealing with the past and your parents' errors and your parents' successes. And, you know, also some really, really, really great songs. And if you don't love Steven Universe, I, I won't say we can't be friends because, you know, it's a cartoon. Because it would if go you, against the spirit of Steven Universe. Exactly. So if you don't like Steven Universe, we can still be friends. But I'm probably going to whisper about you behind your back. That does not go against the, the Steven Universe <laughs> uh, aesthetic. That's actually right in there, especially if you get into that season two. But yes, Steven Universe, good show. I'm now waiting for Rodrigo to say that's my number Rodrigo, what do you have for number two? Uh, my number two oh. is a television show. <laughs> As per the prompt um, that came out, when did it came out? Uh, 2011. But I don't think I watched it in 2011. I, I, I don't think I watched it until it started streaming and kind of on a whim because uh, it had this lady who had been on Saturday Night Live during a period when I was actually watching Saturday Night Live. I was like, well, I want to go see what uh, Casey Wilson is up to. Um, I knew this would be on your list. Yeah. And uh, I was immediately sold on Happy Endings. Uh, happy Endings is technically the story of a friend group, 
uh, where two friends get married and then they break up or almost get married and then they have a big breakup and what happens to that friend group. But honestly, that premise gets abandoned pretty fast to get that friend group back together and essentially going on like weird hijinks adventures. Um, the characters are big. They are the dumb ones are really dumb. The vain ones are really vain. The competitive ones are really competitive. And they have actual legit banter, which is something that we haven't seen in like Amer in American comedies since like the fifties, right? Just like characters, bam, 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 going by. I guess that's not true. We've probably depending on what you consider a comedy, uh, you can probably see some Sorkin stuff as as uh, banter, but. Um, just these characters going back and forth, not waiting for a laugh, not waiting for the laugh track, just joke after joke after joke, back and forth. Um, it's really fantastic, really well-written, um, really weird at times. Um, watched it, rewatched it recently, at least as far as, you know, 2019-ish, still holds up. No, no major uh, red flags yet, uh, but we'll see. Um, and it, you know, it kind of got me following along with what all these uh, characters were doing. Uh, quick note, uh, Damon Wayans Jr., who was, uh, was in the pilot for this and also in the pilot for um, New, Girl. New Girl. Yeah, and New Girl took so long to get picked up that he got in the pilot of this and then... Uh, got this show and started doing the show and there's a joke in new girl about how you have to be nice like somebody right like basically films themselves in like like earlier and then the characters watch it later and they're like you gotta be nice to coach otherwise another group of white people are gonna scoop him up <laughs> um and uh sure enough they scooped them up for happy endings good times wait they scooped him up for good times you. Yeah, happy time. I've never seen either of these shows, but I always confuse them because you tell the story of Damon Wayans Jr. being on New Girl and being on Happy Endings. Well, eventually, uh, so this show went for, I want to say just two seasons. Four, yeah, like two seasons. Yeah, just two seasons, right? And so, but New Girl is, I don't know, probably still going. So, it went for like seven seasons. Yeah. I think. So eventually, Damon Wayans Jr. comes back to New Girl as his old character. So <laughs> you know, it, it kind of worked out for everybody, <laughs> except for me, who wants to, who wanted to see more episodes of Happy Endings. <laughs> Just watch New Girl and squint. I mean, Zoe Deschanel kind of looks like Eliza Coop if you're, you know, you know the the writing the writing is different, and as much as I like uh, Peter B. Parker. <laughs> um, I, the, he sometimes gets really annoying and that, that character gets really annoying for me in that show. Sometimes I do like new girl, but I have strong feelings about all the characters and unlike something like legend of Korra, where I'm like, I feel something about this and I can keep watching sometimes mm -hmm. with new girl. I'm like, I don't like what they're doing with Winston and I have to stop. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> all right. We have made it to the top of our list this week. Our number one show from 2010 to 2014. And mine is an animated show once again, because again, kids. And this one started out as really kind of a sleeper. We kind of caught it midway through the first season, maybe about four or five episodes in before we really paid attention to it. It starts off as just your 
you know, two kids get sent to go live with their great uncle up in the Pacific Northwest. And this town is kind of weird. There's some, you know, pseudo X-Files type stuff going on. One of them really wants to believe in everything and thinks there's a big conspiracy going on. The other's just there to have fun and think about boys and hug her giant pig. And then as you continue to watch the show, suddenly a big hidden conspiracy thing does start to appear. And by the time that you get to the end of the second season, you learn all about what family means, what sacrifice means, what it means to change your ways to go from someone who is uh, really a criminal to someone who's maybe less of a criminal, but has a lot of love in his heart. Uh, You get to know all of the really crazy kooky characters in this town. And once again, when this first came out, uh, the oldest and I were hooked on it instantly to the point where we were dying for the new episodes to come out. But because it was on Disney XD and because Disney has this weird uh, habit of, you know, running the same show for an entire month before they put out a new episode, it was really hard for us to follow the two seasons, which really felt like it went on for four years. Um, I mentioned earlier that my youngest was watching Legend of Korra nonstop. And I was like, well, we got to do something about this. Let's introduce something different for him. And so I said, hey there, sidekick. How about we sit down and we watch this really cool show called Gravity Falls? And he was like, I have no idea what this is. And sure enough, by the end of the first two episodes, that was his new binge watch where, again, he will sit down and watch this again and again and again. I told him, you know, I made him sit through all the credits because at the end of the credits, they have this word scramble, a little cipher that you have to figure out. And I was like, well, you know, that's a secret message about something, maybe something about the show, maybe something that's coming up. You have to figure it out. And by the next day, he had gone online and found all of the cipher reveals, all the in-credit things. And he's like, oh, this means this and this means that. And this points to this episode that we already watched, blah, 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 blah. It is really good. This is another show that the animation quality is so good. The the comedy and the humor is so well done. They treat the... Um, the conspiracies and the mysterious parts of uh, Gravity Falls, Oregon, with enough respect, still making it ha-ha fun, but at the same time still adding that little weird element to it. And when uh, uh, Bill Cipher shows up, oh, things get really scary and creepy. And uh, it is so good. This is one that I know the great Nate O and I talked nonstop about this when it was out. They have these little books. Uh, There's three books that um, Dipper finds. Two, actually, but he's on the lookout for the third. Uh, But they've actually printed these books. And recently, just within the last week, we were in a store in the book section, and they had the third book from Gravity Falls. And the youngest was like, Dad, can we get this? And like, heck yeah, we can get this. And he read through the entire thing in in about two hours, uh, just going through all the lore and all the little mysteries. And he knows that from the show that there's hidden pages that you can only see under a black light. And he's like, Dad, do you think any of this has black light stuff? And I'm like... There's only one way to find out. You're going to have to wait till you get home and get your black light out. Uh, So it's just like such a good show. Alex Hirsch did this thing from January 15th, 2012 until February 15th of 2016. Only two seasons. Keep that in mind. Two seasons over four years. Uh, This show is just so good. And if you get a chance, sit down and watch it. Gravity Falls is the best. And it's why it's at the top of my charts for the show that I watched during that five-year period, 2010 to 2014, because it's so good. Go check it out. Go watch it. There you go. There, There's my number one. Matthew, what do you have for number one? My number one, no joke, uh, is a show that changed my life. Now, you say, 
Well, you're kind of hyperbolic, Matthew. And I say that's true. I mean, you know, I've said it a million times. I'm a little hyperbolic. But I, as a child, grew up with kind of a vague knowledge of certain bits and pieces of pop culture that was not centered in the United States. And so I was aware uh, when I was a kid of a show called Dynaman. And I was vaguely aware of a show called Sun Vulcan. And in college, I was aware of Power Rangers, which was I knew was an adaptation of a Japanese television show. But in 2011, there was this – it was a, like a GIF or a, a film loop making the rounds on the interwebs where 199 individual heroes all of a sudden go into a fight together. And I'm like, 199 superheroes? Yes, please. Sold. You, you've just made yourself some Matthew candy, and now you're going to have it. And so I was introduced to my number one, Kaizoku Sentei Go Kaiger. You have to say it with the accent. I know it sounds a little racist. I'm sorry, but that's the only way I can pronounce it because I have to say it the way the announcer says it at the beginning of the show. He yells it. Otherwise, I sound like an idiot. So here's the deal. Go Kaiger is the 35th anniversary of the Super Sentai show, which is the basis for what gets adapted into Power Rangers. It is a series that says, okay, all 35 previous shows happened. And these characters, these six heroes, can transform into any of the previous 200 heroes at random. So they started doing not just, here's the anniversary of the show, Hooray, here's a specific episode that is uh, kind of a celebration of a specific season. Here's a show, and we're bringing back the original actor who's now 65 years old but still does his own stunts because, you know, Super Sentai was hardcore. It was the Wild West back in the 70s. And so you get into this show, and you start watching these things, and you're like, I really want to go and find out more about this. So I went from having a rough idea of how it all went to being able to identify all of the Super Sentai heroes by sight, to being able to tell the difference between seasons that even look exactly the same or very close to exactly the same, and going, oh my gosh, when does the new season come out? I'm so psyched, you guys. We're going to get to see it. It's Oh, it's going to be awesome. And literally, I went from just being a casual fan, I kind of like Power Rangers, okay, to being a real fan of Super Sentai and trying to find each season, finding the information about each season as quickly as I can. And it's fascinating to be able to walk into something with that much history and try and, you know, parse it all out and not just figure out, oh, well, this is what it was, but this is why it was. This is why all of a sudden there's 65 episodes of this season and 20 of this one. This is why this character is weird. Uh, this is why that woman has a wig glued to her helmet, which, by the way, I've told you why she has a wig glued to her helmet, right? Oh, you've mentioned it before. Yeah, she's Captain America. Um, she's literally an adaptation of Captain America based on disco dancing, which is why she has a big blonde wig. And if you say to me, that's crazy, I'm like, yep, that's the fun of anything Super Sentai. So Go Kaiger, which was the show that really unlocked Super Sentai for me, is a show that I will always remember fondly because not only did I enjoy it, I watched it with my kid. And she is so enjoyed it. She loved it. She got so attached to the characters. And at the end, it seemed like somebody died and she was in tears. And this is, you know, 10 and 11 years old. So she's not like, you know, tiny, tiny baby child. She's old enough to be the kid who's like, well, I don't care. I'm a teenager now. 
and she was really, really invested in it. And I really, really enjoy the show. Go Kaiger, go watch it. Trust me, you'll like it. All right, there we go. Rodrigo, you're going to close us out this week with your number one show from 2010 to 2014. Yeah. So um, my number one show uh, from 2010 to 2014, I think really owes a lot to a show from 2003. And that's uh, Chappelle's show, um, which was this skit comedy show um, that really kind of centered on these American, like on the African-American experience. Um, But that show was a lot. And it really kind of started this conversation about like who who's watching this. And what are they getting from it? And really that conversation of who's watching this and what are they getting from it caused Dave Chappelle to like leave the entertainment business for like a decade, right? He only recently just came back. So in uh, what, 2012, when uh, Key and Peel rolled around, I was kind of worried that they were going to go down a similar route, but I've always felt that they were actually very mindful of that, that they really kind of internalized a lot of the the lessons that uh, com- like black comedians had to learn in those during that time, during that uh, s- during that span of time about basically about wide audiences and what it's like to be, you know, a, a black creator on TV and really applied it to Key and Peel. Most of the stuff from Key Appeal really still holds up. There's some stuff that I'm, I feel like it's starting to turn, but it, it's pretty minor. Um, and because both of these guys are such nerds, there's like so much like just general pop culture, sci-fi, fantasy stuff um, uh, baked into this that it really makes things... Um, it really makes for a very varied viewing experience where you go from a skit about, uh, you know, breakdancing to a skit about space aliens to a skit about just like suburban dads, right? Just bam, bam, bam in the same episode. Um, it was, it's a really fantastic show to this day. There are things where I'm just, you know, driving in my car or, at work or wherever. And I'm like, that reminds me of a key and peel skit. Cause mm-hmm. I've seen every season of, of the show several times. And it's kind of weirdly become part of the lexicon through which I relate to things, which, you know, if you know any nerds that tends to happen with TV shows. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the sort of thing where I'm like, guys, guys, you know what this reminds me of? And I like, we'll queue, queue up a, key and peel video and people watching it like haha that's pretty funny and i'm like i know it's super funny you guys um so i'm definitely that guy yeah uh, for my number one key and peel yep i will definitely uh spend some time uh, it'll pop up in my youtube recommendations for a skit or something then i'll end up watching like five or six in a row yeah uh, and then yeah. come back to them about eh, every couple of weeks I'll, I'll watch a couple so it is definitely you good get, stuff you get into like weird kind of niches that you're like hey what is this and then they show you power Falcons and I'm like, ah, that's awesome. Yeah. Now some shows Plus people I'm sure are going to freak out because they're not on our list. Sherlock, not on anybody's list, which, you know, right. Sherlock the first, I, I enjoyed what that was um, up until about, 
maybe the end of the second story, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think is where I kind of fell off on that. It's an okay show. Um, the other one that I'm sure people are just losing their minds over is why did you guys not have Breaking Bad on the show? And again, I've talked about Breaking Bad before. There are moments of that show where it gets really brilliant, but it took me three times starting over the first season before I was finally like, okay, let me keep watching this and watching this. And then by the end, I actually fell asleep during the, the, the series finale. Uh, and I woke up the right at the end. I was like, nah, I'm not going to go back and watch the rest of it. So that's why those two shows did not appear on my list. Did you guys have some also rands? I am surprised that uh, Rodrigo didn't have Brooklyn Nine-Nine on the list. Yeah. Part of the reason that it got bumped from my list was I'm like, I think Rodrigo will have this. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm having kind of a thing with cop shows in general. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to include it, but it was almost there. Um, That's I'm, what Bridget told me. She's like, yeah, cop shows are canceled right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Adventure Time, not on yeah. anybody's list. Yep. Uh, two shows that I think were like absolute, like for me, sleeper hits in that period. Don't mm-hmm. trust the B and uh, Suburgatory. Yep. Um, also, nobody had last week tonight. Also, yeah. yes, which was going to be it was going to be my number five until I remembered that uh, I didn't have um, True Detective on my list, so that shifted everybody mm-hmm. down. You're like, yeah. oh, let me look down the HBO list. Mm-hmm. Oh, never mind. Bob. No Game of Thrones. Nobody mentioned Game of Thrones. No uh, Black Mirror, which no you know, Black all Mirror. the nerds are all about the Black Mirror. Yep. But this is the thing. Top five is not a show about what is most popular. Top five is a show about however many nerds show up and what it is that we totally dig. And that's why you listen to the show, yep. you guys. And here's what you can do. If you have a show that we didn't list that's one of your favorite shows, then we want you to head over to the Major Spoilers Discord and in the Top 5 channel, you can share your Top 5 shows from 2010 to 2014. I know a lot of people jumped in on the last Top 5 uh, show that we did with uh, television shows. You can share your list. Everybody's going to read your list. Everybody's going to share their list. You're going to read their list. We're going to read your list. We're going to talk about your list. Why? Because everybody loves a list, and we will talk with you again next time. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.